We are in John chapter 10. In John chapter 10, where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This is a wonderful passage to be in in the midst of the table, isn't it? That we're reminded this is what our Lord, the good shepherd, gives himself for us. You know, and, and, and in John chapter 10, Jesus uses a couple analogy, and I, and I pointed to them a little bit. There's, there's, there's a couple of different sheepfolds. We're going to read about them. The first one is the village sheepfold, and then the second one is, is more of a countryside sheepfold, where it's just the shepherd and his own flock, where the first one is the shepherd's flocks are mixed in with others. And I'll explain those a little more a little bit later, but I want to first just read out of John chapter 10. I want us to start with God's Word, and uh, then we're going to expand on that and, and, and kind of dig into the curious reaction. I should also say that, that this, this passage, this passage is watershed for me. Well, it's, it speaks to me personally. You'll, you'll hear some of that in a moment. But, but this passage is watershed for me. I think back to about 1984, 1985, and, and I heard for the first time somebody teaching from John chapter 10 and they reached back into the Old Testament. They reached all the way back into the prophet Ezekiel chapter 34. And they put those two together. They, 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 he, he showed how, how John 10, Jesus is actually thinking about. And he's pointing back to Ezekiel 34. And that's how the chapter is understood. And when I saw that, it did something for me. The light came on. And I knew this was the word of God. I believed that before. I believed the Bible was the Word of God. I believed that God had given us the Bible, and that was how we knew Him. And God, God's, the Bible was God's Word. The Bible was true. But I saw, I saw that, and that night I, I really believed it. I believed it at a new experiential level for me. Look what God has said here. And, 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 and the whole book was his book. The whole book wasn't a collection of random stories, but it all fit together and God was showing himself to us. And I hope you get a little of that, a little of that excitement that I got that many years ago this morning as we get into God's word. But let's begin by reading John chapter 10. I think you're going to find us on page 896 if you're using the church Bible in front of you. John chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, whoever that gatekeeper is. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And when he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying. So Jesus again says to them, another sheepfold illustration, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he's the shepherd laying down in the gateway of the sheepfold now. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. 
The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. Sheep beyond Israel. Sheep around the world. And I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes my life from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my Father. And there was again division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon, he is insane, why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Besides, can a demon open the eyes of someone who is blind? Going back to just the very previous chapter, previous events. Now, it's interesting. Why did these words by Jesus, why did this declaration that he is the good shepherd, he's not a thief or a robber, he's not like these others, why does that elicit, why does that bring such a, a sharp, a vocal response? What's going on here? Perhaps there are times when you've said something to somebody else about your faith in Christ and it brought a similar strong reaction, much more than you expected. Maybe it's because the truth that you sincerely shared threatens their status quo. It, 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 it exposes maybe a house of cards that they have built up. Sometimes the, tru- the truth, carefully shared, exposes their truth for the facade that it is. What Jesus has done here is he has exposed these shepherds of Israel that he's been talking to. And we see that clearly when we, if we turn back now to Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel 34 is the shepherd background that Jesus is drawing on when he makes that declaration, I am the good shepherd. And he says, this is what the good shepherd does, and this is not what the good shepherd does. These are the things that the false shepherds do. We turn back to Ezekiel 34. We're going to see those come into sharp relief. So turn over in your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 34. In the midst of the Old Testament prophets, Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel is not, not a, a book that we dip into frequently. There's a lot going on there, and sometimes it gets a little complicated. But this is a wonderful picture of who our God is for us. So I'm going to read, first of all, the Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel 34 addresses the shepherds of Israel and the sheep of Israel. It's the first I want to turn to the shepherds. I call this part, pass me another lamb chop, Okay? So keep that phrase in mind, pass me another lamb chop, as you are hearing God's word to the shepherds, God's words to those who would lead, okay? Ezekiel 34, I'll read the first four verses, then I'll skip down a little bit. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? 
You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled over them. And so what's God going to do about this? Skip down to verse 11. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep, and I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he's among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they've been scattered. On a day of clouds and thick darkness, I will bring them out from the peoples, and I will gather them from the countries. I will bring them into their own land, and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel. By the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country, I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall be, they, they shall Lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself, the Lord says, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. I will bring them back. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong. I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. So God has something to say to the shepherds of Israel. God has something to say to those who would lead. God is addressing those who are leaders of the nation. Then in the days of Ezekiel, in the midst of the the, um, coming and present Babylonian captivity, it's why the nation is there. And he also has something to say to those who would continue to lead. And first of all, he has something to say to any of us who would then be leading. You know, I remember well... When I was, when I, when I first came and became the pastor here at Brush Prairie Church about almost 14 years ago now, and there was a man, he's the executive director of CB Northwest, our family of churches, and so the church invited him to come and, and speak some words. Uh, start this guy off right, would you, they said. And this is what he said to me in that, in that what's called an installation message. He spoke from 1 Peter chapter 5. And he said, shepherd the church of God which is among you. That we have a privilege of leading and of shepherding that which is God's church. It's never Bob's church. It's never your church. It's God's church. This family of believers, this this local expression of the family of God, we are his. And he zealously, jealously even cares for us and looks after us. And so God has something to say to those who would be leaders. First of all, those who would be first in God's kingdom, those who would seek to lead, need to be the servant of all. If you want to be first in God's kingdom, remember when the disciples were, were jockeying for position, who's going to sit where, who's going to take what place, who's going to be closer to Jesus? Jesus said, those who would be first in the kingdom of God need to be the servant of all. Diving to the bottom of the pile. Secondly, for any of us in pastoral leadership or ministry leadership of any kind, there are some questions Ezekiel raises for us to consider. How are we leading? What are we doing? Am I feeding myself or am I caring for others? For instance, some of you know that I did, I did uh, some doctoral studies a few years ago. And 
maybe you don't know, but I know this about myself, and it was a concern for me in that process as well as other things I've done in the past. Uh, because I know that I have, I, I, I appreciate recognition. I know that I have a hungering for affirmation of others. And so was I doing that program for the recognition and the esteem of others? Or was I doing this additional work in preaching that I could better feed the flock of God which I was among? That's important. Are we doing things to, to care for and feed ourselves or to care for and feed others? Are we, are we leading in an area because we want somebody else to look up to us? Or are we leading in that area because we want to look out for others? Are we strengthening the weak? Or are we leaving them behind because... Frankly, they're a nuisance. They're extra trouble. Are we strengthening those who are weak or do we leave them behind? Do we exercise the spiritually fat and strong or do we cater to their wishes and, and to their demands because frankly, that's easier. And confronting them can be exhausting. Are we tending the injured are we letting them sort themselves out? Are we, are we going out after the lost, or are we just waiting to see who shows up here? The Lord says, he will go out after the lost and bring them in. It got me thinking, what lost person have I gone out of my way to go after this week? What weak Christian have I strengthened in Christ against the schemes of the devil, against the circumstances of life that have beat them up, maybe against temptation that seems to be overwhelming them? What weak Christian have I strengthened in Christ this week? This week have I challenged the status quo? Have I challenged maybe the laziness of those who are comfortable in Christ? I love the, uh, the pastor's job description that was given by Vance Havner years ago. He said the role of a pastor is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. Now, I don't know which of those you fit into this morning, but I hope you, the real spiritual needs are met this morning, either in comfort or affliction. You know, it's interesting, the first leader's in the church. Aside from the apostles, the first leaders, when God said, we need to form a leadership position in the church, you know what he called them? He called them servants. God said, we need some leaders. We need some servants. The, word, the Greek word is diakonoi, and from that we get our words deacon and deaconess. And we have those in the church who are deacons and deaconesses, and they lead by serving. And I hope there will be times when some of those deacons and deaconesses, those servants, tap you on the shoulder and they say, can you help here? And you'll say, yeah, because I want to follow their lead in serving. We get confused and we, get, we start to think about leadership in terms of there are some who lead and there are some who follow. There are some who decide and there are others who do. And we take that out of the world's structures and we think leadership is lording it over others. Leadership is diving to the bottom of the pile. Those who lead will lead by serving. And we want to know our Lord by joining him there in the pattern that he has given us. We worship. We have a strategy here at Brush Prairie. Our, our ministry strategy, what does, what does it look like here in the church? What should I be involved in? What should I be doing? There are a lot of things going on. And we boil it down to three. We need to be worshiping together growing together, serving together. We need to be joined together in worship, and I'm glad you're here. 
I'm glad you're here this morning. You encourage me. We sing to one another these truths of God, even as we lift them to him. And we strengthen one another. And we need to be growing together in a smaller group of some kind or another where I am known to others and others know me. And if I'm not there, they'll know that I'm not there. And they will follow after me and they'll find out what's going on. And they will pray for me and I will pray for them. And we will give a word of God to one another. We will share from his truth what, what, what he has poured into us. It will overflow into others. We need to be in those growing together. And one of the critical ways that we grow together, one of the critical ways that we worship is in serving together. Because we are not growing spiritually in the likeness of our Lord and Savior Jesus if we are not serving as he served. If we are not giving ourselves away as he gave himself away for us. Paul said more than anything else in Philippians chapter 3, I want to know him. I want to know him. I want to walk in closer relationship with him. And where are we going to do that? We're going to get closer to him when we go where he is. And he is walking with and serving and giving himself away for others. So Paul says, I want to know him even in the fellowship, the relational partnering with him in his sufferings. Because that's where I'll know him. Don't be afraid to serve because it'll cost you. That's where you know it's worthwhile. Because there you'll also be growing in your knowing of him. And so Paul, or rather Peter, as I mentioned, Peter addresses the, the pastors and elders in that classic passage out of First Peter chapter 5. And I won't read it for time this morning, but as I think through our elders at Brush Prairie Church, I'm, I'm thankful for the elders that we have in this church. And as I look back over the years, the elders that I've had the privilege of serving, these are men who could have said, you know, I'm busy. I, I've got a lot of other things going on in my own life, and I'm already serving in here or there. I just really don't have the margin. Peter says, don't serve out of compulsion. Don't serve because there's an opening on the board that simply needs to be filled. They serve as an elder. They serve as a shepherd because God has called them. And, and having good reasons not to, still they are, they're, they're willing to do that because this is what God has set before me to do, and I give myself away for the sake of others. That's why Paul told the Thessalonian church to respect those who labor among you, who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. But most importantly of all in Ezekiel 34, as we learn something about shepherding and leading, we learn something about our Lord. Our purpose in John is, is to know God, right? The purpose in Jesus' coming is that he would show us the Father. And when Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd... He says, this is what my father is like. And Ezekiel 34 describes God's own heart in shepherding terms. This is what our Lord is, is like. We are called to lead by serving because that's who he is. We are called to put others first because that's what God does. You might have a notion that's skewed by your own experience that God is demanding, that God expects you to do this or do that and measure up. The reality from Ezekiel 34 and John 10 is that God loves, he cares, he tends, he nurtures, he strengthens, he protects, he gathers, he goes after, he seeks out and brings home. And what you see here in Jesus is exactly what God the Father is like. His mercies are new every morning. Our sins they are many, his mercies are more. That's who he is. So Ezekiel 34 has something to say to shepherds, but not only. 
Ezekiel 34 addresses those who would lead, and some of you are saying, glad, glad we're just talking to the leaders today. Ezekiel 34 has something to say to the sheep. It's kind of comical, really. You think about the sheep, and there they are, and you think, oh, the sheep, there's this uh, cute, cuddly, happy little, like a, like a, kind of like big bunnies, right? They're just fun, these sheep. Well, look what the Lord says concerning the sheep. Look down in verse 17. As for you, my flock. Now, these are not just random, rascally, wild sheep. He says, these are my flock. As for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God, behold, I judge between sheep and sheep. Between rams and male goats, it is not enough for you to feed on the good pasture that you must tread down with your feet the rest of the pasture and drink of clear water, that you must muddy the rest of the water. You know what I call this section? Got my water, got my grass. Not that kind of grass. Just regular old good grass. I've got my water, I've got my grass. I don't care about what's going on with anybody else. That's what's going on with these sheep. I've got my water. I've got my grass. And must my sheep eat what you have trampled under your feet? And must they drink what you have muddied with your feet? Therefore, says the Lord God to them, Behold, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep, because you push with side and shoulder. You thrust at all the weak with your horns. There's power struggles going on. Who's going to be first among the sheep? Till you have scattered them abroad. You've run other people off. I will rescue my flock. They will no longer be a prey, and I will judge between sheep and sheep, and I will set up over them one shepherd, David, the good shepherd, the son of David. So there he is. The, the passage describes sheep who are only about their own needs, not anyone else's. I want what I need. I want what I want for me. I don't care what might be important for others. They eat their fill. They trample the grass. They drink their fill. And then they just go stomping on through the stream or stomping on through the pool. They don't care that others are going to need to come and eat or drink after them. They're not even thinking about others. Where the gospel tells us, to think about others. In fact, the gospel tells us, having been filled in Christ, what are we to do? We're to put others first. There should be a debate among Christians. It's wonderful when you see it, who's going to go first. Maybe they can't even hardly even get through the door because each one is saying the other one must go first. No, no, after you. No, 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 please, after you. you know, it ought to be the case that when you go out to lunch that you fight over who's going to take that check, who's going to take that bill, Okay? That, that, that we will put one another first. We will consider others, Paul said in Philippians, as more important than ourselves. Now, humanity, since the fall, hasn't been that way. That's different. Humanity has been generally self-focused. In our culture, we, become, we, we tend to be increasingly self-focused and consumers. We are not described, the American public is not described as citizens. We are described as consumers. Because that's what we do. We consume. We take things in for ourselves that we want to eat or use or consume in some way. Everything is a commodity to shop and choose between. Targeted marketing has divided us up into increasingly self-focused little niches of demographics. I want what I want has moved from cars and clothes and furnishings and activities to music and entertainment, even to church. Classic way you've seen that, I want what I want for me. You've seen it in church. You've seen it in worship. You've seen it in music styles over the last couple of decades where you're going to have churches are going to decide who they're going to be. We're going to have oldies for the oldies. Or we're going to have new music for young people. We're going to target millennials. 
Everybody's got an idea about what millennials want. The funny thing is millennials don't have a clue, so I don't know how anybody else knows. And yet, we target this way and that way when we're targeting for ourselves is about what I want. It might be the matter of doing things the way that I want them to be done. It might be having certain programs that I think these are the programs we should have because that's what I like rather than what is really needed for these people as a whole, what is really needed for the community around us as a whole. Church easily becomes focused on ourselves. Churches easily fall into the same trap that our government has. You know, it was interesting. President John F. Kennedy years ago, classic line, he said, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Oh, how far we've come from there today. When in every election cycle, candidates fall over themselves competing with one another for what they can promise to give to the people in order to buy their votes. What favors they will do for you with somebody else's money. And so voters tend to increasingly vote in their own self-interest rather than in basic ideals as a whole. Church easily becomes like that in our consumer-focused culture. So the sheep act like that in our consumer-focused culture. The question easily arises, what did I get from church this morning? Instead of, what could I give at church this morning? By that I mean, we ask the question, was I blessed this morning? When we should be asking the question, who could I bless this morning? We should be looking with sensitive eyes to the people around us that we're bumping into along the way, not bumping them out of the way so that I get my seat, but looking, what, are, what, are the, what needs do we see there? What need for encouragement, for hope? Instead of, was I fed this morning? Who did I help feed this morning? You see, and if we turn our focus, if we turn our intention toward how do I give for myself for the sake of others, you will find yourself fed. You will find yourself blessed. You will find yourself met by God in ways that you did not expect because you met Jesus there in giving yourself away for the sake of others, and that's exactly where we find him. Jesus came to rescue us from this self-centered circus and to give us his life. He is the good shepherd. That's John chapter 10. He will judge and confront our tendency to serve himself and our own desires. And Jesus invites us to join him in following him in giving himself away for others. He says he came that we might have life and have that more abundantly. Well, we want that. We want life. And if anything, we want the abundant life. The problem is we misdefine it, don't we? We define life, first of all, is how long can I hang on in this broken shell, in this mortality? How long can I make it last? Sometimes I wake up in the morning and I say, why? What am I trying to hold on to exactly here? Can some of you identify with that? Maybe just a wee bit. And, and when our life is not this physical mortality, in, in Genesis chapter 3, the Lord had told them, in the day you eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. And die they did, and yet they lived physically for hundreds more years. But that very day, what happened? They were expelled from the garden, exiled from God's presence, where they had walked with God in the cool of the day. They'd had the kind of fellowship with God that the Father and Son have among themselves. 
That was cut off that day. Humanity was exiled out of God's presence. And to have life again, to have eternal life again, is to be brought back into relationship and into the presence of God again. That is our life. And no matter what happens to this frail flesh, that cannot be taken from you when it's given you in God. To be born again by the Spirit of God, we have life. We have relationship. We are restored into community and fellowship with God. And he says, not only do I want you to have that, I don't want you to have access and you can come home when you want to. I want you to have that life abundantly. I want you to live in that relationship. And where we'll find him is in serving the others whom he is loving and serving. That's where we'll find him. We'll walk alongside our good shepherd. Stay close to the shepherd in the midst of his sheep, and you will hear his voice and you will follow him. In that background, then, we turn back to Ezekiel, or rather from Ezekiel 34, we turn back to John chapter 10, and he starts with the village sheepfold. In that, in that village sheepfold, he, he, he talks about there's this sheepfold, there's a gatekeeper there, and, and uh, uh, all the different shepherds, they will bring their flocks in. When they come into town, they bring the flock with them, and the flock is checked in at the village sheepfold or the town sheepfold. And there's a gatekeeper there that knows each of the shepherds, and the shepherds check in their sheep. It's kind of like the nursery or the pre-K, all right? You take your little lambs and you check them in there and all the different parents, all the different shepherds check them in to the pre-K sheepfold, all right? And then when you come back later, you call out your own and your own little lambs, they know your voice and they come and they follow you, some at least, if they're hungry, right? And, and the other kids, they don't follow you. They don't know your voice. You're not their shepherd. You're not their parent. And they wait for their own. And that's kind of what this village sheepfold is like. So all the sheep are washed by the gatekeeper for a time so the shepherds can maybe go get a, a bath or something. They've been out in the field for a couple of weeks now. And so then he moves from there. When, they, when the shepherd takes his sheep from the sheepfold and they follow him because they know his voice, he leads them out, and wonderful, he leads before them, and they run along after them, and they follow him. Sheep are not like cats, by the way. Maybe more like golden retrievers in this sense. So the sheep are following the shepherd. They get out, and they, they, they go out into the fields and out on the ranges and out on the hillsides, and there the shepherds have built up these enclosures that they will use for safekeeping of the sheep at night. And that's what Jesus is describing out there, where he himself lays down at the gate. He himself personally protects his own sheep from any threat. If you want to touch them, he says, you've got to get through me. That is our security in Christ our Savior. And so, as he lays out this, this sheepfold analogy, boy, they, it, 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 creates, it creates quite a, quite a reaction he contrasts himself in the kind of shepherd that he is. He cares for the sheep. He, he, he gives himself for others. We follow that example by giving ourselves for others. Fathers and mothers give themselves for their children. They don't always give what their children what they want, but they do what's best for them. Husbands are called to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. You give yourself your own time and energy for the spiritual good in, uh, for, of others. One of the ways you do that here in this VBC that we prayed for that's, that's going to be going all next week. And kids can come tomorrow. They can come for the first time Tuesday, Wednesday. They can come any day and join in. 
And many of you are going to be here, not because you don't have something better to do this next week, but because the spiritual good of these kids matters to you, and so you'll give yourself for that. There's a pancake breakfast coming up in Battleground that our church men have been asked to, well, not just men, men and women have been asked to serve at. They heard about what we do in Hawkins, and they said, can you come and help us here too? And so we will be there, and there's a sign up in the foyer for that as well. We will do that out in our community. We will give ourselves away in serving others because that shows something of Christ our Savior. But Jesus claiming to be the good shepherd, that, that caused a reaction, didn't it? In fact, after he lays this out, they corner him in the colonnade called Solomon's Porch. And, the, and uh, here rabbis would typically instruct their disciples, and they corner Jesus there. They surround him all around him, and they said, you know, if you're the Messiah, then tell us plainly. Spell it out for us. Be real clear in your words so that there's no mistake in what you're saying. They're looking for an opportunity to accuse him. But Jesus says, I have told you, and you do not believe. He told them in chapter 3 and 4 and 5 and 6. And along the way, people have believed, but the leadership have not. They've heard it and they've rejected it. He says, I have told you, but you have not believed. And so Jesus says to them in verse 25, I told you over and over again, and the works that I do show you that I'm from God. It's important for the sake of others that what we do agrees with what we say. That we show and tell God's grace in Jesus. We show forgiveness and we tell about forgiveness. We show love even as we would tell them about God's love. We give ourselves for others even as we would tell them that God loved them and gave them his son. Jesus' words told them plainly. And his, the works that he did showed the character of God to them. But he says in verse 26, You do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give to them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one is able to snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Are you his sheep? How do you know? Have you, have you heard his voice and believed God concerning Jesus? He said, my sheep hear my voice. If you have believed in him, are you following him? If you've heard his voice, do you come when he calls? Do you do what he says? Do you go where he sends? I mean, he might, he might send you to Indonesia or someplace. He might send you around the world. He might send you into your own neighborhood. He might send you across the street. He might send you across the room to to someone who needs to know Jesus, to somebody who needs encouragement or comfort. And there's no safer place than in his hands, no matter where he sends. Many of you know our daughter and her family are in Zimbabwe. And Zimbabwe is not a terribly safe place. It's certainly not a stable country in the world in the last several years. And yet the safest place for them to be, the place we would most want them to be, is right in the middle of where the Lord would have them, where the Lord would send them. Because that's what's most important. And the same security for them there in the midst of their serving him is our security in him forever. Somebody would ask, but can I lose my salvation? That's the wrong question to ask because you didn't get your salvation. The question would be, could God lose me? God has saved me. Can God lose me? And Jesus says, no one is able to snatch them out of my hand. 
My Father who gave them to me, no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. We have the same essence, the same purpose. And you are safe in God's hands. No matter what you're feeling, no matter what you're going through, no matter where he sends you, we are secure. Not in ourselves, not in the strength of our own faith, certainly not on the basis of our obedience, but we are safe because of him and who he is for us. We are safe in God's character. And so they hear this, and Jesus tells them plainly again, and so how do they respond? Well, they quickly gathered stones in order to stone him. And you think, well, gee, that's kind of a strange. You, you hope they would respond this way. You hope they would say, okay, well, thank you very much, Jesus. You know, that's, we're going to have to give that some thought. We'll come back to you. No, that's not how they respond. They pick up stones. You'll experience that sometimes. Somebody in our study group, our men's study group on Monday mornings, somebody had mentioned that, that um, here in the temple courts, there on that colonnaded porch, such a wonderful place, where do they find stones? Well, some people, some people seem to be just careful to have some stones laying around because you never know when you're going to have to throw stones at somebody, right? But we must not be those people. We must not be the ones that are ready and willing to throw the stones when the opportunity comes and somebody does something or says something that we don't like or we would say is wrong. No, Jesus is sovereign. He's the sovereign servant. No one takes his life from them, from him. He lays it down on his own accord, so they will not take it from him here. There's, a, there's more discussion that goes on, but for the sake of time, we're going to hurry to the end where in verse 40 it says, so Jesus departs again across the Jordan. Out of their reach, out of their reins, they can't throw that far. Over the other side of Jordan where John was baptizing before. And I would ask you this, why does he close with that? Why does it close with this mention again of John the Baptist who's already been, been murdered, where he was baptizing before? Why does the chapter close with that? It's because the chapter opened with that. The chapter opened with a gatekeeper. The gatekeeper knows the shepherd. The gatekeeper recognizes the shepherd. And the gatekeepers who would point out the shepherd when he comes were the Old Testament prophets like Isaiah, like Ezekiel, and like John the Baptist himself who said, look, there he is. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's who he is for us. He takes away the sin of the world as the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. There are three warnings in, the, in this chapter for us. The three warnings, first of all, for those who lead. We do not lead for our own advancement. We do not lead for our own advantage. We will not join the party of pass me another lamb chop. We lead by following the one who laid down his life for others. We know him better. We follow him more fully and closely by joining in his sacrificial serving of others. We do not seek to serve ourselves. We are not content merely because I've got my water, I've got my grass. We instead will consider others more important than ourselves. We will consider others' needs. We will put others first before ourselves. We will worship together and grow spiritually together by serving together. Finally, if Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, are you his sheep? Have you heard his voice and believed? 
You want to know him more closely? Are you following him? Hearing his voice, are you following him? Are you safe in his hands? Because you can be this morning, right here, right now, right where you're sitting, you can say, God, I believe you concerning Jesus, that Jesus laid down his life for me, that Jesus is the Son of God from heaven who comes to earth and gives his life in my place in order to bring me back into right relationship with God, forgiveness in him. This morning, right here, right now, right where you are, I believe that. I believe God concerning Jesus. I want us to close by turning over to Psalm 23. And if you're not using an English Standard Version, you might want to find Psalm 23 in the church Bible there in front of you. Oh, you can also read along with your own version, but I want us to read this together. I want us to close reminding ourselves, this is the psalm, a psalm by David, where a sheep is bragging on his shepherd. I have got a great shepherd. And believing in Jesus Christ, yes, you do. So I want us to stand together. Let's read together. I'll read it slowly so you can read along with me. Read out loud, please. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that the Lord is our shepherd, the Lord is our good shepherd, that Jesus laid down his life for his sheep, and he calls us to follow him, to walk with him, to serve with him, to invite others to come home to our Father. Lord, we would pray again that Vacation Bible Camp this next week would be used for just that. We would pray, Lord, that that which we give now in this offering, that which we would give back to you, yield back to you out of what you've provided for us, Lord, that would you use that, that people would know Jesus and would know him more deeply and more fully. Lord, in this church, in this community around the world, use what you've given us for your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.